Welcome to Two Guys, One Book, where two friends tackle their reading list one book at a time. Okay, so we're back. Oh, it's I go? Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> today we read, uh, or for this episode, we're discussing AI. Well, first of all, I'm Brian. Oh my God. And the guy talking is Tim. If you don't know by now, if they don't, I'm what Tim. If they, what, if, what if somebody perhaps is just interested in AI? Stumbled upon our website and was just going to click on this first link. Then they probably regret it already. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. What did we get into? They probably do regret it already. We'll, we'll get into this book. It's going to be great. Yes. Um, we read the book AI Superpowers by Kai-Fu Lee. So he was born in Asia, um, but he worked in the United States for a lot of his career. I think well, he came to school in America. He came to school oh, yeah. first, but yeah. then he worked eventually for, like I think, Microsoft and Google. Um and just had this really big successful career in like artificial intelligence, deep learning. And then eventually he went back to Asia. He was in China and started like a VC fund or he was part of a venture capital fund where he funded startups um, in the artificial intelligence realm, right? Like, right. Does that cover it pretty well? So of what is, who he is. Yeah, yes. that's who he is. And the book basically just in a short summary is like he's talking about, you know, the superpowers of AI, especially United States and China, and how this technology is going to change our world going forward. Mm-hmm. You're looking at me like I'm missing something. Well, I mean... We'll get into the details. Well, you, well let's dive right into okay, it. Okay. I mean, like, because, like, I, I thought that this book would have, I guess, more... Did you feel like it hit, it, it, it sat, you're a computer programming nerd, right? <laughs> yeah, huge nerd. <laughs> but like, did this satisfy your your uh, thirst for, you know, sas- that Intel, I, don't, I can't articulate it. The but audience this- is not a technical audience. I think it's more like, they're talking about the societal impact of artificial intelligence. Okay. It's more of a broad overview. I, he doesn't get much into the weeds of the technology. See, that's, I guess, what I, I was expecting more of the weeds. You want, like, a manual, like a textbook? Well, not a manual, <laughs> just, like, I mean, I, I guess his, the big thing about deep learning, the, main, the big takeaway is that deep learning is just kind of like you set up a bunch of algorithms on this and just kind of give it a bunch of examples and teach it. It, like, is self-learning, the, like... The computer, you give it a bunch of pictures of a cat, and, and then it will learn what a cat is. And you give it a bunch of pictures of pictures with no cat, and then you tell it that these are pictures have no cat. And then from that, the computer will learn to make that link of what characteristics are in the photos that of a cat, and then we'll be able to notice when there is a cat in a different photo in the future, right? Yeah. Yeah, I That's mean, pretty much deep learning in a nutshell, right? So I think he summarized it well, like yeah. an example like that. But um, I mean, did he need to know the details of how the computer's doing it? That's kind of a deeper dive. Yeah, into... it is a deeper dive. I understand that I probably would not get a lot of it, but I guess I was a little more curious about the nuts and bolts of AI. Well, this book's a good jumping off point, I think. Like, I agree. It covers it a lot of broad topics, and you can kind of go into one that you're interested right. in. Right. So, kind of like our last book with Prisoners of Geography, where we had all these different geographical regions. And if you wanted to learn more, you can dive into it. Same here, where mm-hmm. he talks about deep learning, then he talks about what AI can do and is projected to do in the future. And if you were interested in more specific details, you could dive into them. But like you said, it was more about also looking at the socioeconomical uh, infrastructure of China and USA and how AI has become rose up and then where it's going from here 
Yeah, the scary thing is how AI can take like a ton of these blue collar and white collar jobs in the future. Almost half the workforce things could be automated away. Um, you know, right. lots of things uh, people can do. Ru- anything routine oriented, a computer can do and probably do it better. I mean, I, I thought it was an interesting book. I liked it, and because he went and he also explained how AI making all these jobs obsolete is is one step, but we are not even remotely close to like autonomous actual robots walking down the street. You know, like just just taking like being able to learn and, and think and do and and like act like an actual sci-fi robot. You know yeah. What I mean? The impacts of AI are not just affecting the people, individual people who may have to look for new work, but it's affecting all of society in that out of balance uh, scale where the rich have so much and the poor don't is only going to continue to shift greater in the to the rich's favor. And yeah, we can get into that more, but I think towards the later chapters, he has some pretty good ideas and some interesting mm-hmm. perspectives on right. that. But maybe do you want to walk through some more of the like sequentially just the artificial intelligence background and and what it all means deep blue or whatever beat uh gary kasparov at chess was a big moment but then he he kind of opens the book talking about how google's deep mind beat the go champion Mm -hmm. which go is a much more kind of complex game than chess there's so many different moves and variations to it he talks about how this was kind of like a sputnik moment for the chinese Mm -hmm. how when the russians had launched a sputnik satellite into space or whatever Mm -hmm. And it kind of spurred the U.S. to really invest a lot into space um, research and industry. Um, that's kind of the similar thing for the Chinese. So they just invested tons and tons in AI stuff. And I thought that was a good analogy there, that there was this Sputnik moment, as he called it, to help the Chinese launch their AI campaigns. When he talks about deep learning and how deep learning gets better uh, with the more examples and the more data it has... Mm-hmm. I couldn't help but constantly think America has 300 million people. Yeah. China has 1.2 billion, like four times as many people. Mm-hmm. When sometimes when he was talking about, oh, more people in China use their version of Uber than than Uber gets American customers. And it's like, well, no duh. Some pure numbers comparisons are always going to be in China's favor. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's another thing about this book is I do feel it was very favorable towards China. Do you think he was biased to some extent? I think extent? he was. Yeah. At the same time, I think he was biased, but I do get his point. Those are things that are not cannot change. Mm-hmm. China's always going to have about four times more people than America. And those whole concept of so much data, Chinese citizens are more accepting of having their personal information shared by corporations. And he doesn't ever mention, I mean, he, I guess he mentions the Chinese government sometimes, but not so much the communist aspect of it. And the fact that, you know, growing up in China, you just have a different reality that your own government is probably have some sort of surveillance or some other mm-hmm. way to keep tabs on you. And so it's kind of a way of life over in China. So my argument would be like, that's just kind of how they, they live their everyday life. So if corporations want their personal information to make their apps work better, Chinese people are like, fine. Whereas Americans would be more hesitant and resistant to that. You know, and I think that's not going to change. But he's saying that's helping them advance AI Correct. faster. Yes. Yeah. And, I, and, I, and I can't help but agree. 
because the way he lays it out is that deep learning and all this AI will only get better with more data. And where do you have more data? In the most populous place in the world. Yeah. Well, that's true. I think, well, you kind of covered a couple of different things, so maybe we can just like unpack. Sure, sure. Um, I think in terms of data, I kind of push back a little bit on it because, of course, the volume of data is much higher. And he talks about how China's technology infrastructure is more intertwined with the physical world than Silicon Valley startups are. So a lot of Western companies and newer companies are very much like digital oriented, but right. theirs are more tied into the physical world, you know, machines and our interaction with brick and mortar places and that sort of thing. It's just getting more intertwined with technology versus we have like Facebook, Snapchat, Airbnb, a lot of like big companies, but more have a digital presence. So he's saying in, in that way, like if you know where people are going to be going, like where they're eating all these different things, it's giving them an edge for sure. But even though they have, you know, four times as many people as us, that sort of thing, isn't the quality of the data also, you need to consider like the diversity of it, because if all, all the people are kind of doing the same kinds of behavior, then I don't think you're getting a big range of data. That is what companies want to know is like, what are what is the most of people doing? If right you're now? a Chinese company operating in China, then uh -huh. that's what you care about. But I'm saying if you're a company that wants to appeal to beyond China and the rest of the world, then if all you study and analyze and feed into the AI like algorithms, uh, the training models and stuff is like Chinese people, mm -hmm. then it's just sure. skewed. I agree. I agree with that. And I feel like that one point he makes in the book at one time is saying how American companies have almost completely failed in, in infiltrating or expanding to China because mm -hmm. He, took, he, he used the reverse of that, whereas Americans just thought, Silicon Valley companies just thought that all they had to do was just market and get exposure in China, and then people will like their product. Whereas the author here says that wasn't the case because Chinese you know, society has a way of doing things mm -hmm. that the American Silicon Valley companies didn't adjust to. And so, like you're kind of saying the reverse that like the uh, the Silicon Valley companies maybe don't want to just they they are bigger more globally and don't want to pander to the to get into the Chinese market, maybe. Yeah, it's a combination. I think it's so tricky to thrive in China as a Western company because their government will give their you know native companies yeah. preference. Yeah, he talks a lot about how stealing ideas is not frowned upon over there like here we really value like intellectual property but for them he kind of compares it to like a gladiatorial arena where yeah. <laughs> you can take anyone's idea and you're just kind of like fighting to the death to succeed yeah to have successful ai algorithms you need big data you need computing power and good ai engineers and china has um you know they've got all the data they're building the computing power and they're getting more engineers as well so they're investing a lot in general he says they're just like more willing to risk things like he talked he mentions like obama had supported a company like Solyndra, which yeah. uh is too risky because they went like bankrupt or something mm -hmm. so in terms of our government supporting technology i think a lot of politicians are kind of hampered right in that regard right and one more thing just to give a summary of the ai companies like the big ones operating so he mentions Google, Facebook, Amazon, Microsoft, and then Chinese companies. He says Baidu, Tencent, and Alibaba. He says those are the seven big AI giants. 
And he talks about the four waves of AI, which are internet, business, perception, and autonomous. So those are kind of like, just as an overview, I think we're kind of in the internet business realms right. right now. And then it's gradually getting more and more advanced to the point that we'll have like autonomous driving and all of that. Right. Just to generalize, like comparing China to the US. So you would say they have fewer like civil liberties, but they have a more efficient government. You can get things done very quickly in terms of like building infrastructure or investing in something in particular. Correct. In those regards, because I give him credit that he does. He does say that, you know, Chinese government programs are not all perfect, that they are going to have some waste to them. He felt like China was was willing to accept the growing pains of the inefficiencies or potential few losses for an extremely big gain in the future, whereas American governments need a 100% success rate before they sign off on anything because they're just going to get hammered with negative press when one of these goes bad. One more point that I heard recently is like, a lot of this is good as long as the economy is going well. Like mm-hmm. the, the government will continue to receive support from people and that sort of thing. But mm-hmm. uh, in the event, and it's more likely than not, I think that they'll experience some kind of downturn is that that's when people start like kind of questioning the status quo and, and you sort of run into problems. So. Right. He, he wasn't too keen on the whole Terminator future, was he? Keen in what sense? Like he didn't like believe it's in it. Happen. Yeah. Do you think it's gonna happen? No. <laughs> of course not. But I also know. I think we've said this before that I would die pretty quickly in that oh, kind of sure. post-apocalypse. Yeah. yeah. Do you I think our dystopian future is more likely to be Orwellian or Huxleyan, like Brave New World or 1984? Orwellian. You think so? I think more Brave New World. Like, we're all doing, like, Netflix and fantasy football and stuff. I guess we're dis- so. distracted by pleasure. Brave New World also had, like, oh, what's that called? Eugenics? Is that when you... You're, like, breeding people for yes. different roles in society. Yeah. yeah. So I don't think I don't think it'll go that route. I'm thinking maybe more, like, um... Do you... Okay, so it comes like down to, like, surveillance way. or, like, obsession with pleasure Ooh. above all else. Oh. Well, when you put it like that... Yeah. It seems I, like I still don't know. Yeah, <laughs> that helps a lot. No, I, I think, I, but I think you're right. I think we have become more pleasure seeking. Why don't we talk about the um, like psychological aspect of it? So, if you have a job that's replaced by artificial intelligence, then how do you cope with that? Like, you're a truck driver who you know lost her job to an autonomous mm-hmm. car, or an you know, a secretary who lost her job to an automated, like, phone system. Right, right. Things like that. I loved his one, uh, his one thing he says is like, yes, shifts in technology might lead to some short-term displacement, but just as millions of farmers became factory workers, those laid-off factory workers can become yoga teachers and software programmers. Well, there you go. I thought that was, like, a big stretch, a factory worker to a yoga instructor. (laughs) I mean... I feel like that's a oversimplification of things because, like anything, if you have a saturation of people looking for jobs out there, then the jobs are going to become scarce. And I think a lot of people overestimate how adaptable a lot of, you know, the average person is. And that's one thing, part of his book he did say, like 40, 40 to 50% of the jobs might be displaced of some sort, but that's not taking into account the jobs that can be created by, like, AI and robot 
technicians and repairmen, you know. So I feel like that there are there will be other avenues that will be more easily trans to, to transition to from mm-hmm. uh, the jobs that are being displaced. But like I feel like there are still going to be a lot of people left behind. I liked his point towards the end. He talks about compassionate caregivers, which yeah. is like. I mean, I guess we already have this to some extent. We've got psychologists and social workers and doctors and kind of a range of professions, but he's mm-hmm. saying like we could invest a lot into someone who just does a combination of these roles for people and people who need more long-term attention. Um, you know, it's just, you've got to put the money to invest in that too. Cause like right. it's not super profitable to right. do a lot of these things now. And that's what he's talking about. Cause like he mentioned universal basic income mm-hmm. as like a popular tool that people kind of throw around to counteract this the job displacement caused by ai or or automation Mm -hmm. uh and i like where he took it because he didn't give like a blanket universal basic income for everybody but if you went into like certain fields you were getting you were given like a, a stipend of some sort the stipend would be a decent government salary given to those who invest their time and energy in those activities that promote a kind, compassionate, and creative society. These would include three broad categories, care work, community service, and education. Yeah, I like that a lot. Yeah, I like that a lot too. Because I feel like the universal basic income is nice, but the thing about it is like some people don't need it. Mm -hmm. And where do you draw the line? It's like, oh, you don't need it, but this person does, even if they are working some. To kind of best put our money, the government's money, towards something, I think this is a good way of doing it. You should incentivize some kind of social Correct. career. Right. Yeah. yeah. He talks about how he was diagnosed with cancer. Yeah. And I thought that was a great chapter. That was. I usually don't, in this sort of book where it's a nonfiction topic and about technology and government mm-hmm. and stuff, it seems out of place for the author to insert their personal life like a little force but in this context i think it was very relevant and like added a lot to the book so right. i'm glad he talked about it yeah me too i thought did you know about that going in the book uh i think i he might have done it in the lecture i saw first or okay. ted talk or something gotcha yeah because i thought it was very interesting um because he was he felt like he was a human algorithm working all the time a workaholic i mean he was like when his wife was in start in labor, he was deciding whether or not he had to go leave his wife's side to go to a meeting. Mm-hmm. And then when he like had surgery or something, he like rigged the computer so he could like he was bedridden for a couple of weeks, but he still hooked the monitor up above his bed and like had a mouse and keyboard readily yeah. available so he could reply to emails. So like he was, and they called him Iron Man. It was it, it was rather impressive his work ethic, but at the same time a little crazy. Mm-hmm. And so him getting sick was um, a way to give him perspective, which mm-hmm. I can appreciate. Having gone through that myself, it was very interesting because he talks about sitting through a PET scan and all that stuff, and that's something I had to go through with my... I had lymphoma, I had stage three, he had stage four, you know, but like he said in the book, and I kind of thought it was interesting how he went into the different stages of lymphoma are, are really only categorized that way to help med students and doctors learn it. There were so many other factors he found online and in his research that determined the success rate of being treated for Hodgkin's lymphoma, so it was interesting to see that the stages don't really mean a whole lot when it comes to lymphoma. 
yeah, you kind of draw some parallels between yeah, what yeah. you went through. Yeah, and I mean, like, yeah, going through lymphoma and or any cancer for that matter, or life-threatening situation or illness can give you perspective. I am glad that it stuck with him. I'm glad because it stuck with my experience. It stuck with me and changed my life forever. So, I'm glad that he was able to have that experience and a fresh perspective and a new lease on life. You know, maybe it helped him have more clarity as to how we can solve the AI issue in the future, which I felt was nice. And so, yeah, I mean, like you said, it's it, this is more of a nonfiction, more technical book, but having a little personal story in there, I think, uh, went a long way. And you guys are both healthy now for, yeah. you You know, you beat cancer, right, so. Right. Yeah, spoiler alert, I beat it. <laughs> <laughs> and Brian's book will be coming out later this year, so. But no, I think it's interesting, like he, yeah, he was a workaholic, and then he kind of turned things around. He's like, family is really my priority now. And he's trying to send that message to a lot of the Chinese people now because their work ethic is pretty insane. He's saying, like, you got to have some work-life balance. Like, yeah. you know, think about your family, that sort of thing. Don't mm-hmm. just focus on the work. One uh, critique, I guess, is, and my brother had mentioned this when he read it, is that he never mentions <laughs> India. I uh, Yeah, I told my brother to read this because he's kind of, like, okay. interested in these topics. But, like... So your brother read it, too, after you told him. So you didn't yeah. get this idea. So, like, why did... I didn't even ask you. Why did you pick this book? Oh, I just because I think I read, saw his uh, lecture or okay. heard a podcast interview with him and thought he sounded interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually... Yeah. You put this book on our to-read list. Mm-hmm. I was like, what is Tim making me read now? I'm like, oh my god and then one day I was watching 60 Minutes mm-hmm. and they talk about the future of AI with Kai Fu Lee oh really and I'm like and he's a very yes very, very articulate yeah. yes very uh, interesting person to listen uh, to speak yeah I think part of the reason I chose it is because it's an interesting topic that's getting more and more relevant and then he's got perspectives on both sides like east and west so he kind of yeah, can bridge the gap um, but yeah, like I was saying, like my brother had made a good point though, was that he never, in the book, Kaifuli never mentions India that mm-hmm. I can remember, which they're a very big, like they're almost as big as China. Like may overtake them in population in the next, you know, That's decades. That's true. And then they invest a ton in technology as well. Mm-hmm. So I think like you had kind of implied earlier is that he's, he's very much, um, focused on like the Chinese side of things, having been from you know that part of the world having worked there for so long and then the united states as well and and those companies here but you know there's more going on i guess in the world right a couple other things i found interesting was the fact that uh with technology how china wasn't as hooked up to the internet in the 90s as america was Mm -hmm. that meant they were a little delayed in the internet exposure but then smartphones came along and so Chinese, a lot of Chinese people went from no access to mobile access yep. and how that changed their perspective on things where now they have everything at their palm. Why carry cash anymore when I have my bank account linked to my, we, you know, uh, was that WeChat app? WeChat, yeah. yeah. That's a good point. It's like they kind of leapfrogged a lot of the U.S. Mm-hmm. innovations because they could go straight to mobile. Right. Um, they didn't have to go through our evolution as much. They could just go straight to that. Like if you go to a restaurant in China, I think it's normal to just pay with your phone. Right. Whereas here, that's not really like a common thing. I know. Yeah, for like rural parts of China that are getting advancing in technology too, they can just go straight to like mobile. Mm-hmm. And they speaking of the credit score, they started doing like a social credit system, which is oh, do they do that? like yeah. the Black Mirror yeah, type thing. That's right. 
Yeah. I, I think I heard another podcast about the social score in China. How hard it is. Like, once you are blacklisted or something, yeah. how hard it is to but, get off that. Was that Planet Money or something? Yeah, it was Planet Money. Yeah. yeah. He compared human decision-making versus AI decision-making and how humans focus on strong features, stuff that, you know, is very, you know, we crunch the numbers, we get these, you know, relationships between this attribute and that attribute. But then AI will look at all these other weak features that humans wouldn't even think about. Um, and like like the battery life remaining on your phone when you apply for a loan or, or how fast you type in something. Mm-hmm. Or another thing he said was, um, why do borrowers who take out loans on a Wednesday repay those loans faster? I am hesitant to believe that there is actually a correlation there mm-hmm. between some things like that. But then Kai-Fu Lee would just say, well, that's just my human brain not being able to fully grasp and see all the uh, intricate you know details that AI is able to flush out I think this is this is a big uh, this is one of my big takeaways from the book mm-hmm. when we scan the economic horizon we see that artificial intelligence promises to produce wealth on a scale never before seen in human history something that should be a cause for celebration but it left to its own devices, AI will also produce a global distribution of wealth that is not just more unequal, but hopelessly so. AI poor countries will find themselves unable to get a grip on the ladder of economic development, relegated to permanent subservient status. AI rich countries will amass great wealth, but also witness the widespread monopolization of the economy and a labor market divided into economic castes. Ooh. How I mean, like he's talking about like this forty to fifty percent job loss in what like the next twenty years or so? Is that what he said? I forget something like the that. time frame. How do you feel I, about? That? I mean, I don't think it's as doom and gloom as maybe you consider it to be. I know. All right, this is the synthesis on which I believe we must build our shared future, on AI's ability to think, but coupled with human beings' ability to love. If we can create this synergy, it will let us harness the undeniable power of artificial intelligence to generate prosperity while also embracing our essential humanity. All right. I guess overall, the state of the world taken into account, I do not anticipate governments being able to subside the AI effects. I I feel like... We are in a place where our leaders are mostly inept or fighting amongst themselves, that nothing will actually get done before it's too late, and that people will genuinely feel left behind and disenfranchised due to AI and and, and rapid evolving technology. Now, I'm not saying that it is all going to be for naught. I think that human beings are very imaginative and creative that we will be able to adjust to these new norms in our life and that we will be able to carry on. And then that eventually, yes, like like this opioid epidemic, right? Like just now, the big pharmaceutical companies are being taken to court. Years too late, right? Mm-hmm. The opioid crisis has been going on for far too long. So I'm, I'm not saying that our government is completely inept. I'm just saying that I do not think they will be out on the forefront uh, addressing the issues as they come, they're going to be more reactionary to where stuff is going to, the shit's going to hit the fan, and then a few years later, the government's going to be like, oh, well, maybe we should adjust for something, and then then something will be corrected, and then things will be okay. 
Yeah, it's okay. So, a lot of things to unpack. Yeah. I think it's tricky because like our lives are so intertwined with the technology companies and what they produce. Like we're all buying stuff from Amazon or whatever. Going forward in the future, all these huge companies might be obsoleting a lot of jobs. Like maybe Amazon twenty years from now won't need any factory workers because everything will be automated. But um, at that point, our our needs as a society like basic needs taken care of enough that we're okay with it or are people going to rise up and like you know there are politicians like elizabeth warren saying they got to like limit the number of mergers acquisitions the power growing in these tech companies because they're just getting too powerful so i mean there's got to be a balance between progress and social stability right so do you think that companies will just keep getting more larger and richer and that we will just be more we'll we'll be taken care of to just enough that we'll be like oh that's fine do you do you, is that kind of what you're getting I mean, at is that it what feels you like think? we're on that track if we you know you order something and it gets here tomorrow it's hard to hate amazon you know what i mean like <laughs> our lives have become so like convenient i mean there's factory workers striking and there's people upset with the company but they also are one of the biggest ones that offer like 15 dollar minimum wage so it's like you've got to meet both parties halfway, but mm-hmm. it's easier said than done, I guess. Right. Okay. What direction do you think it's heading in? Um, dystopian. You always think <laughs> dystopian. Could be the happiest book. Like, I know. They're all gonna die. Yeah, I mean, like, I I feel like there is going to be some growing pains. I think that's only natural, and I think there are going to be people left behind. That isn't to say that life on the whole is going to be better. I think life for a majority of Americans can continue to get incrementally better while at the same time the gap between the middle class and the low, the lowest of the low is just going to keep getting bigger. Now, I don't know what we're going to do about that. I have no solutions. Okay, here's what is crazy. It's like mm-hmm. just stepping back and seeing this objectively over time. Shouldn't it be considered a good thing if some job that's not super fulfilling, that's kind of routine or physically, mentally, you know, not doing a lot for a person. Isn't it a good thing if technology replaces it? But no, because it's taking these people out of work. But why is work the ultimate goal? Like, the traditional sense of it. Correct. So work, I mean, you know, it's good when it gives you meaning and purpose mm-hmm. and fulfillment and, us, you know, that all those things are great. But, like, he's saying let's shift more to, like, societal-based jobs, like healthcare and... Um, just like social oriented jobs. And it's not a bad thing that te- it's not inherently bad that technology is replacing jobs. It's just right. we need to help. I I agree. Yeah. I just think and then that's where this stipend for helping people or a potential UBI comes into play because work is what provides money which helps provide for your family. Mm-hmm. So, I mean there's still that whole, you know, you have to provide your family to get money so that you can live and I think that's what's been so linked between a job and you know money and therefore my job is what provides for the family and I think that's where people get so much reward out of out of working a meaningless job is that I'm doing this meaningless job day in and day out because I'm providing for my family and so if they can find some other way to feel fulfilled with their family and safe and secure, then they wouldn't need the job. And I, th- and I think that's a little idealistic and, and talking more like a utopia where 
you know, everyone just get, gets along and shares everything, or maybe socialist. But I, but I agree with what you're, the point you're making is that our identity is linked too much to our jobs right now in society. But is that necessarily a bad thing? Like, if you get a sense of pride from, you know, doing that sort of no, thing. No, it's not a bad thing if you enjoy it. Like, But, like, I feel like that people are resilient and they're willing to put up with crap because they view their job as a ways to provide for their family. And okay. so that is where their meaning is. Like, I'm, like, like I said, I'm doing this dead-end job so I can provide for my family. So, like, I think there's different levels to... You know, taking pride in your work. If you genuinely like your work, and if you genu- genuinely feel like your job and what you do helps provide a service or to help other people, that's great and wonderful. Okay, so why do so many people, and it's almost like become a cliche at this point, is that they come out of retirement early because they get so bored and restless and need something to do. Right. Like you've heard of so many people that same sure. story, right? So like if. If it changed like this, where nobody had to work anymore, we had all of our needs fulfilled, people, I think, would just be lost, not know what to do. They don't have that sense of identity, like, I'm providing for my family. A lot of people get depressed, I think, because they don't have any, like, meaning to tie their day-to-day lives to. It's just like, well, what are we going to do? Right. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. I, I mean, I, I, I get We'd all be saying. retired at that point. Yeah. And I am of the mindset where I would personally love that situation. We have become socialized to accept the fact that we have to go to work Monday through Friday, 40 hours a week, or whenever you work. You know, I know there's people who work weekends and nights and all that stuff, but you work your shifts because that is what society tells you you have to do to be a contributing member. But I think that there are different ways. I think, so you're right, I think if we had that utopia setting, that there would be a lot of people that would not know what to do. Yes. But I think that. That would be a small portion of the people. I think most of the people would find some other way to find fulfillment. It's, it's hard to say. Like, we don't really know how things will play out no. in the future. Like, I mean, <laughs> who would have predicted... I mean, that sounds dumb, but, like, who would have predicted the rise of the internet in, like, 20 years ago? Right. And, like... And that's changed so much of things in such a short amount of time. Right. Like, the next 20 years, I think, will just get exponentially kind of crazier. You think so? Because let's look, let's look back in the 60s, right? I always look at the Jetsons, right? You know that cartoon show? Yeah. <laughs> because the Jetsons came out in the 60s. And in the 60s, we were sending people to outer space. We were landing on the frickin' moon. So they were expecting... Of course we were having flying cars in the year 2000, you know? So I, I, I think I agree with you. I think next 20 years is going to provide some exciting technology, but I would temper your expectations. Like, we're not going to have... Not Everyone's not going to be riding around in an automated car in 20 years. Ooh... No. Ooh, let's get a quote on that. <laughs> no, you want me to say it again? Not everyone will be riding around in an automated car in 20 years. Brian, I told you. I don't know why I'm so old. <laughs> yeah, you're <laughs> Brian, I told you. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> How do you know you're not like a person in 1990s saying like, yeah, email's cool, but like you're never going to use one of these like you machines every day. Tim, you are absolutely right. <laughs> there are already autonomous cars. What are you well, yes, but not everyone's riding around in them. But in 20 years. I listened I to a podcast today with Kai Fooley. 
because that's how I prepare. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was saying there's a city they're building in Chicago, in China, about yes. the size of Chicago, where they have sensors built into the roads because it's and that's fantastic. For... Are you gonna go live in that city, Tim? I mean, no, but yeah, exactly. They gotta America's work out the build... kinks. America's not building no city that's all made for autonomous vehicles. Okay, it's just so not in the car. let's let's come meet halfway. Okay, so right. I'm not saying every single person will have an autonomous car in 20 years, but I think. What we do for like Uber now, they'll have something like that in How 20 years. How prevalent will that be? I think it'll be in the bigger city, like, you know, mid, mid-range will bigger Cincinnati cities. Will Cincinnati have an all-automated Uber system in 20 years? So Cincinnati's a little behind the times, well, I you think. Well, see, that's just it. Living in Cincinnati in 20 years, can I get an autonomous Uber? Yes or no? <laughs> this pressure's on, Jesus. Yeah, the pressure's on. Okay, um... I want to say yes, but it would be really expensive. Oh, yeah. it would cost more than a human driver. Because because the it's like you know the first computer cost a shit t- a lot of money because it was they're working out the kinks. Once it becomes like prevalent, it, the cost will go down once people are start using it more. Okay, that argument actually, I think I buy. <laughs> Any more you want to add? Um. Okay, so there's one final thing I will add. All right. There's a cool chart I liked in this. Yes. For jobs called like the risk of replacement chart for like cognitive labor. Um, and it's got these four quadrants and across in the middle. So it's got uh, safe zone in the top right and then slow creep bottom right, danger zone bottom left, and then human veneer top left. So, what does he mean by human veneer? Human veneer is just like people oriented. So, like teachers, doctors, tutors, um, wedding so like planner, financial. AI will help, but still have that yeah. human they'll assist them like he was saying today how like in the podcast a teacher in a big city in china can teach all these students in rural china just remotely on like a skype thing right so that's an example i actually saw that on the 60 minutes oh that was on there too yeah and it was interesting because they had like each child had like a color or dots on their face to determine like how attentive they were yeah and they and then the ai was guessing like oh that one's distracted that one's or that one's confused Oh, that one's paying attention, paying attention, pay attention. But like the ones... See, that's what's weird. And that's what um, Chris Anderson, the TED guy, was interviewing him on this podcast. And he was saying like, you know, Western countries would really push back on that a lot because it's too Orwellian. It's too much like the AI is just reading if a kid is paying attention. Like that seems a little too invasive. Mm -hmm. But to them, it's just like they they value education above everything. They just want their kids to... Well, it's because they have only like one kid per family, right? Well, they have to pump all their hopes and dreams into one kid. I guess, yeah, there's more pressure. With you, you know, your brother took care of all of your parents' expectations. So you have nothing yeah, to go up to. Same. <laughs> yeah. You know, lower lower standards. My parents are really proud. Um, but like, but going back to that classroom example, the yeah. kid could be not be paying attention simply because he's bored because he already knows the material. The AI helps teachers uh, have targets oh. to go look to uh, to go to these children mm-hmm. more specifically. Yeah. And make sure they are on top of it, and if they are, then just move on. So like, so the AI is not a perfect system, and that's not, and that's what he's saying too. Is that I like going with your quadrants. I like these. Quadrants. Well, yeah, I will in a second, but I think to go on from that or to um, go off of that, yeah, yeah uh, like the AI could detect that a kid is having issues paying attention, and then the teacher could go like, oh, ask the kid, is there something going on in your home life? Because we <laughs> notice, I'm serious, yeah. no, because they I know, we're, I guess. we're getting more like personal like empathy oriented ah. so the teacher's role is less hey pay attention like the ai is taking care of that it's more like the human element where it's mm-hmm. like 
what about your like personal life is not going well right now you know Mm -hmm. i think it'll go in that direction (laughs) that's not weird why are you laughing i mean (laughs) i guess i guess i'm laughing because teachers do that already it just seems weird right now no none of my teachers you've had shitty teachers then (laughs) well i grew up in an era of self-sufficiency when kids were expected to you're a millennial brian i know i know i'm a millennial but it's fun to talk like i had an outhouse and had to chop my own firewood but you never had a teacher be like, how are things going? No. But I was never a problem child. Surely, over your years of schooling, from kindergarten to, to college, there had to be one teacher who had, like, asked you one question not school-related. Oh, well, yeah. Okay. Like, not like, That's all how things are going at home? Are mommy and daddy fighting? <laughs> I'm, I'm not going that deep into it. I'm just saying, like, I'm saying the more AI f- frees people up from you know, routine, boring tasks, the right. more mental capacity and empathy they have oh, for students. Well, I like that. The way yeah. you put it that way. You gotta just <laughs> use some empathy and get get there eventually. Okay, so last point to make, and then I'll go to the quadrants. Oh, okay. <laughs> I know, I know this is rambling, Whew. but uh, so basically, like, if the Chinese are using all this data and just studying the same thing to get the same results, they're just pumping a cycle of conformity back into the system. Mm. So if they're designing the AI for a purpose, like get better test scores, and it's just going to like be focused on that. So I don't think they're taking into account the range of possibilities. If AI is just studying the habits of the same people, it will just get in this sort of feedback loop where it may not be able to, it may reach critical mass, where if it just keeps studying the same data from the same groups of yeah. people, that eventually it will just not be able to glean much more information from it. Yeah. And or, so it's not expanding, it's not it's not developing the AI then would not be developing a fully a full formed version of humanity across the globe. It'd just be really good at China society. Yeah. I that's kind of where I was going. Is that okay. they can optimize certain things but like so like culturally we kind of look to like the rebel and the outsider and, and who's kind of um, you know, going off doing their own thing really well. But like if they above all else kind of prioritize the status quo and kind of doing the same thing but better and more efficient mm-hmm. then i feel like it's a dead end eventually because you're never really deviating from that they're just doing what they're doing better like you said but never straying from it but it's really strained from it that i think there's like new ground is explored that was super deep i gave myself a lot of credit <laughs> thank you podcast of the year okay do, should i do these other quadrants right now sure sure <laughs> go to the quadrants okay so that's human veneer and then the danger zone would be like um top gun <laughs> come on so, who's who's his partner in top gun goose goose <laughs> yeah yes. so goose there's uh pilots is on around here volleyball players <laughs> yes <laughs> volleyball players i like it okay tom cruise jobs um no scientology no celebrities will become more prevalent i think you think oh my god that's right they will won't they (laughs) well the concept of a celebrity is that they're different than others so if everyone's a movie star then no one's a movie star we're all just people in movies super deep again (laughs) 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 i'm killing it right now this is like hour two so you think the the only person (laughs) the only reason a celebrity is a celebrity is because they are different from most other people yeah like we perceive them as different so, but you, but you don't think in the AI future that there will still be actors portraying characters, and that they will still not be 
that fewer of them than average people. Mm. Okay, okay. Here's what I'll say. I think there will still be celebrities in the future, mm-hmm. but I think we're seeing now how like YouTube stars and Snapchat kids and Twitch streamers can all get famous. So now there's like this long tail of celebrities, you know, and kind of niche things. interest. Yeah. So like you don't know who like PewDiePie or like Ninja is. But like, I actually do know who Ninja is. Okay. Very much. PewDiePie, I don't know. I mean, I've heard that name before. Yeah. He's a gamer, too. Just like video game people, yeah. Okay. I do know who So, like, these is. people have huge followers. Yeah, it kind of makes me sad that people like that exist. But, I mean, no, not sad. I mean, they, they're like... Their fans are going to come after you, dude. They got... They, they would have to listen to this podcast. First, <laughs> yeah, fair enough. No, I have nothing against Ninja and PewDiePie. I am not a gamer, so... Well, everybody's got their thing, you know? Yeah, I'm a listener. I'm a, oh I'm a humanist. <laughs> All right, next quadrant. <laughs> now, other danger zone ones like telemarketers. What does the danger zone mean? It just means like they're in danger of AI like obsolescing their job. Oh, obsolescing. That's a word, right? <laughs> so yeah, customer service rep, radiologist, which I think is interesting. Yes. Because like yeah, computers can already read scans better than like a doctor, right? Mm-hmm. So like. Yeah. Yeah. And, that, and that's one thing. I mean. I, that's one thing I found interesting is that the jobs affected by AI are going to be blue collar and white collar. Maybe that will help motivate governments to act faster if it's not just happening happening to the lowest, you know, the, not just the blue collar manual labor jobs, but if it's happening to radiologists and accountants and all these other people with white collar jobs, maybe then those people will have more of the ears of the politicians yeah. or somebody to help do something that's a good point i was just listening i watched the new dave Chappelle special mm-hmm. and it's relevant because he's saying how like there's this crack epidemic in like the 80s or something that the black community was like mm-hmm. super affected by and now we have the opioid epidemic that's largely affecting white people so now he's saying like oh now all of a sudden like this huge part of society cares about a drug crisis that's a good point, though. I mean, that, the same thing you could say about blue collar and white collar is that you're saying the government will make it a priority. Okay, so let's talk about safe zones. So these are people who are probably safe from being obsolesced yeah. by AI. So like social worker, psychiatrist, PR director, uh, CEO, criminal defense attorney. And the, is surveyors on there anywhere? No? Surveyor? I think it would be hard for a... I, I agree. I think it would be hard for AI to take over, too. To go in, like, rugged terrain and... Right. Uh, to measure land. You'll be good for a while. Maybe I, you're in the slow creep section. I think I'm in the slow Because you're kind of a slow yeah. creep, anyway. Because there's a lot of drones... <laughs> a lot of surveyors use drones now to measure land. Right. Are you going to use drones? I, Unfortunately, no. My company I work for does not want to do drones. Do you really need a drone if you're just doing, like... Drones are very helpful for a lot of... Um, if you have a project area that is in a long straight line, drones are perfect. And I work for a civil engineering company where we do a lot of roads and water lines and sewer lines, which are all in long straight lines. So yeah, drones, would, I, th- I feel, would be beneficial. But drones aren't replacing surveyors, they're just, surveyors are using drones Correct. too. So maybe, uh, yeah, that's like- Slow creep. Slow creep or human veneer. Um, so slow creep would be like graphic designer, legal analyst, medical researcher, scientist, artist, columnist. Yeah, that's interesting. And then, so last thing on this is like the quadrant has the, um, so it's the cross in the middle, right? Mm-hmm. So upwards is the social, so human veneer and safe zone, those are more social oriented. To the right is creativity or strategy based, so those mm-hmm. are safer as well. Um, so that's why safe zone is the social and creative strategic combination. Yeah. That's why it's safe, it's hardest for robots and uh-huh. artificial intelligence to replace. 
And then on the left is optimization based, like anything re um, relative to optimization, like computers can do better. Mm -hmm. And then asocial or not people oriented is, is towards the bottom. Right. Yeah. So if you do anything that can be optimized better and doesn't involve like people skills, then you might be in trouble. Yeah. Danger zone. Tom Cruise. <laughs> Great movie. Yeah. Okay. So that was a good long talk. Yeah, it was. You like the book overall? Oh yeah. Uh, should we do rating time? Yeah, man. Rating time. Well, Wait. first should we say hi, CJ? See if he's still. <laughs> do you really think CJ listened all the way? No. <sighs> CJ, I'll give you a dollar. CJ. Did you really read the book or? <laughs> yeah, give it, we'll give him money. Brother, if he... Will your brother listen to this? I don't know if he knows about this podcast. Uh, what? Yeah. Oh, man. Just not that proud of it. No, I'm just kidding. I'm too embarrassed by all know, the stupid right? shit that we say. <laughs> it seems too narcissistic. <laughs> but anyway, all right. All right rating Wait, time. Me first or you first? You first. I give it four. Really? Yeah. You say really, I could say any number, well, any book, and you would say, no. really? No, I would. Maybe I, maybe I would. I, I like how reaction-oriented you are. Yeah, I am. It's fun to have big reactions. Some people are just like, oh, but you're like, wow. <laughs> like, well, yeah. thank you, Tim. Yeah. I I, well, I, when I, I saw you get the pizza earlier, I was really happy. Yeah, too. you were very happy when I walked so, out of the restaurant with that pizza. I can be reaction-oriented yeah, as well. Yeah, it's, Okay, three? I give it, it a three. Why? Why not a four? Because it just wasn't that captivating. Honestly, if you if you hadn't finished it already, I would not have finished it this week. Mm. I thank you for uh, making me feel obligated to you to finish this book. <laughs> You're welcome. I think it's an important topic, so yeah. I give him credit. And I think he's qualified to talk about a lot of stuff. So Completely agree. Yeah. I feel like if you're going to read a book about AI and in and, and the future and the direction of AI is going in USA and China. This is the book to read. Mm -hmm. So if you have your own comments, go to twoguysonebook.com, click on this episode page and leave a comment on the bottom of the page. And then next week, next, next book? Week, yes, next book. What are we reading next? Oh, we're reading The Moment of Lift by Melinda Gates. Why did you choose this book, Brian? Your first female author, I might add. Yeah, we're so quick to point that out. I think women are wonderful. In fact, some, some of my favorite oh coworkers are women. Oh no! Uh, because they're just better communicators, uh, and they remember more. Uh, but I picked this one because Melinda Gates is a very influential person. I think that she gets overshadowed by her husband a lot. But no, I'm looking forward to reading it, and it's about how like if society can creates an uh, an atmosphere where women can flourish and succeed then we all flourish and succeed or so i think we'll find out more when we actually read the book the moment of uber right all right so go to our website you guys book.com and let us know what you think Till next time until next time what do keep, we do keep reading keep reading